But the aim of the whole, uh, what we're, purpose, say, of meditation practice and spiritual development is the realization of the deathless. So this is something that you, when you try to uh, define it and uh, describe it, of course, you can, you're tongue into a knot and your mind into a state of confusion because uh, talking about trying to conceive uh, deathless reality uh, is uh, doesn't work. You can't conceive it. You can use abstractions like deathless and words that, that usually negate things, negate the conditioned experience. You have unconditioned or unborn, deathless, immortal, undying, that kind of thing, these words. But then when you try to imagine that, what, what do you come up with when you try to think in your mind of deathlessness, immortality? Immortality, the word immortality gets get, uh, you know, as a word that usually um, I think people see as a kind of living forever, in a kind of eternity as time that goes on forever. So, so time is, a, is a, 
it goes on and on forever and ever uh, is eternity. But uh, in terms of intuitive realization, eternity is 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 timeless. So we're 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 learning to say uh, by awakening the mind, realizing timelessness or eternity or deathlessness or the unconditioned. <coughs> and then we use the word realization rather than finding something or getting something, you know, like finding the r deathless realm or, or getting it, something that you don't have yet. This is how the conditioned mind works. Then, of course, you're you're always uh, you're caught in the same trap of how your mind is conditioned to try to get something it doesn't have or get rid of the things that it has that you don't want. So one goes around in the in the circles in the endless cycles of samsara. So the word samsara is always this this uh, it's like eternal cycles or endless cycles. They one cycle just goes on to another like a spiral or and it just seems to go around and around forever. So then to break out of these cycles is the simple act of awakened awareness, intuitive awareness. And so this this is what the Buddha was was emphasizing. This mindfulness clear comprehension, sampachanya, the, the sati, the mindfulness to bring into consciousness the way it is, rather than operate uh, through consciousness, uh, just through the force of habit. That's what we tend to do. If we don't awaken the mind, then we, we become creatures of habit. And so we tend to experience life through habits. And that's why it can get so depressing and meaningless, because a lot of our habits are, you know, they, we, we, we acquire them when we're young, and they become increasingly more meaningless as you get older, dreary and boring. Uh, and so the mind can just endlessly kind of go around in the same ruts, thinking the same thoughts, uh, until you're really bored with yourself. We end up trying to distract the mind from all that dreariness, uh, which modern uh, technology uh, kind of uh, presents us with uh, all kinds of miraculous options for distraction. That is amazing: the information age and the and the internet and the the. I remember as a child, uh, when when we didn't have television, and I used to. One of my dreams, I loved to go to the cinema. It was a big, big thing to go to the cinema when you were, uh, when I was a child. Especially like Saturday afternoon was the, the time that my mother would let me and my, f and the other, my friends, we'd all take the uh, trolley car into Seattle, downtown Seattle, and, and uh, go to the, Movies, and that was the that was like what you looked forward to all week long. <laughs> and I think I used to think then wouldn't it be nice if you could have movies just all the time, you know, and you didn't have to 
get on a trolley car and go into Seattle. You can just uh, you can just have a, a machine there like they have now, and you, you just press a button and you get you can watch whatever you whatever you're in the mood for. So that that, that wish has been fulfilled. <laughs> and uh, except I'm I'm no longer interested. <laughs> so. So that was the idea of just the, you know seeking, exciting the mind through through these uh, wonderful inventions. The, the the mind, your attention is always caught up in something that's happening, some exciting event. Sex, romance, adventure, excitement—all these things you know kind of distract the mind and uh, entertain. And we don't have to look at the dreariness, there's a weariness, or the, the dreary habitual patterns that go on in the mind. You don't have to confront it, except for those of us who start meditating. And so it's a deliberate choice, isn't it, to sit still for a while. Because when you sit still for a while, what happens? The things, the programs turn on, you got to reach consciousness, and and they and at first it can some of them can be quite interesting, but then they just repeat themselves over and over again. <laughs> if you keep watching them, they, you know. They remember the first year that I started meditating in uh, Thailand, as uh, in this place where uh, I was with myself for about a year, all by myself, and. Uh, I just uh, the the mind would get all the repressed uh, feelings would start coming up. So first few months I just felt angry all the time because anger had been an emotion I'd suppressed all my life. And uh, so then when I didn't have anything to distract my mind, there was nothing around in the place that really to make me angry. It wasn't that that there were you know causes for this anger from outside, but it was just suddenly I couldn't distract the mind anymore. Didn't couldn't didn't have a radio. Didn't have a television. Didn't have anybody to talk to. Didn't have any books, newspapers. Couldn't go anywhere. I had to stay in this one little hut. I could go outside, you know, and kind of walk, do the jungle practice. That was it. So then. Suddenly, all the stuff that I'd never dealt with for 32 years started pushing itself up into consciousness. And one of one of them was a, uh, uh, was anger. That was uh, anger is kind of interesting. Uh, I found and it, it, it stimulating and lust and anger things like that. But then the dwell and the these are not so. They kind of begin to wear out, and then they get into you. Just get dull, and <coughs> I remember, then a lot of really stupid kind of nonsense would come up into consciousness. You'd be sitting there, and you, you know, I like to think of myself as an intelligent, rational person, uh, and then and, and then kind of really foolish, kind of silly uh, thoughts, nonsense. 
stupidity, stupidity would start rising up in consciousness. And because uh, that was another thing one suppressed, you know. It's just I can be bothered with with things that are stupid or foolish or nonsense. So that's in meditation, like some of you going on the retreat uh, tomorrow. Uh, some people you've, you've, you're well aware of the process that happens, what takes place. But those of you who are, don't be surprised at what comes up in the consciousness. <laughs> because uh, we can see that that's also a sign that, that you're practicing in the right way. That, that uh, the more you're willing to let uh, the unconscious suppress fears and desires and conditions that you can't be bothered with and that you've rejected all your life, when they, uh, when they start coming into consciousness, that's the opportunity to let go of them. And so letting go is not getting rid of, isn't it? You're not, if you're the attitude of getting rid of all these stupid thoughts or getting rid of your anger and getting rid of, of greed and so forth, this is, this doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. The more you try to get rid of them, the stronger, the more obsessed you become with them. One of the strongest attachments you make is to resist something, isn't it? Resistance is a very, uh, this the attitude and action of resisting is, is an incredibly powerful attachment to what you're resisting. Now I began to notice this, how what I resisted the most, I, be, I became obsessed by it. So this, this, the attitude then of meditation isn't resisting, trying to get rid of or denial, or indulging, it's not the other, just wallowing in, in going on endlessly, trying to figure out uh, endlessly all the causes and reasons and, and that, that you have, you're angry or you're lonely or you're unhappy or whatever, thinking about yourself endlessly, trying to trace all the roots back to, to um, your uh, life and your childhood. Because that tends to, one's caught then in just the, uh, thinking about oneself uh, all the time and, and uh, becoming interested in, in yourself as a personality. Then the other extreme is where you resist it, you're just trying to get rid of it, get out of here kind of attitude. And in the middle way, the machima bhajimata is by noticing the way it is, that what arises ceases. Uh, that uh, anything that arises in consciousness, uh, with mem any memory, any emotion, uh, feeling, uh, uh, pleasant, painful, neutral, uh, whatever condition, uh, whether it's intelligent or stupid, good or evil, that it is what it is in the present. And so you're letting it go through the door of consciousness and and letting it walk away. You're liberating it from your mind. So look at it more as liberation, rather of liberating these, these conditions, rather than uh, trying to get rid of them. 
a lot of meditation um, it depends on the attitude that you have. I mean, you can follow all kinds of uh, meditation techniques, but if you have the wrong attitude, then then you know they don't they don't all that effective. You become addicted or habituated to techniques if you if you don't develop the right attitude. So now what is the right attitude? And so this is a, an attitude of open attention, kind of receptive awareness, a willingness to to let whatever is happening be what it is. It's, uh, it's uh, an attitude more like metta or loving kindness or non non critical attention. It's uh, it's an attitude of embracing everything rather than trying to control and and uh, hold on to this and get rid of something else. Now, say compared to your critical mind, then your if you were your principled mind, the mind that is has high standards and ideals and principles that you operate from, then that that mind uh, works from uh, ideas that we hold to, and then we compare experience with the ideal that we have. So we have ideals of how things should be, and and then the way we are in the present, then we become very critical maybe of ourselves, because right now maybe I don't, I'm not anywhere near to the, the ideal that I have of what I should be, or ideal of a, of a proper monk or a nun ideal. Uh, they should be like this. And then we look at ourselves, or we look at each other, and we become always clear. I've never seen any, any monk or nun that fitted the ideal on, in any permanent way, because it's impossible. Uh, because ideals are not. They're, they're a function of the mind. They're, they're ideals are uh, the the best, you know, you have, we can create what, we, we can conceive what is the best in the conditioned realm. That's an, uh, say an, a high ideal or a, or a fine principle. So that's a function of the mind, not to diminish that or to reject that, but to recognize what it is, that attachment to that can only be the cause of suffering because life is going to be terribly disappointing. Because life is not an ideal, it's a reality, isn't it? It's, it's like this, it's breathing now. It's the feeling. feeling. How do, what kind of ideal feelings can you come up with? Permanent bliss, maybe. I hope to reach a state of permanent bliss and a kind of a feeling that is perpetually pleasant or high all the time, forever. So we can, we can think, it wouldn't, you know, we, uh, I remember wishing I would attain a state like that, you know, get through the meditation, the dreariness of meditation and, and the discomfort and the pain of the body and the dreariness of the mind and the unwanted emotions and all that, and reach a state of permanent bliss. 
where I'm just uh, happy forevermore. And uh, I realize that that's not the way it, that's not going to happen. Uh, because that's not the way things are. Uh, you don't, you don't, you don't have a permanent state of happiness. Happiness is impermanent. So in contemplating the way things are, we're contemplating this impermanence. Hmm? The body, the feelings, the mental states, the perceptions and uh, emotional habits as well as all the sen- that we perceive through senses, the material world, what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. This constant investigation and looking into impermanence, then the result of that is that we keep applying it every to the most personal, most intimate experiences of our emotional, of, of our emotions, or our mind. So, uh, 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 I mean, we can oftentimes kind of reflect on impermanence as if it was happening out there. And then when it's really happening very uh, highly uh, volatile or very uh, kind of um, intense emotions we're having, we can completely forget about it and uh, take it all very personally and and see it and and analyze it in a highly personal way and be completely believing it. And yet, in terms of uh, Vipassana meditation, it's, it's been able to, even in the midst of the battlefield or the most uh, intense emotional experience, to keep that perspective of, of, of the impermanent nature of, the, of what's ever happening the way it is as co- as your uh, conscious uh, as you experience it through consciousness well that takes a pretty strong determination to do that you have to really because uh, it's when the emotions get intense to have that ability to reflect on them when they're screaming away at you. You have to really have a strong sense of, of a, a refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. There's so many kind of uh, permutations and 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 things that hang around, not just the, 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 the peak of the emotion, but also the other kind of uh, mental states that, that come about from that. And, and so we can easily be kind of lost and taken over and distracted into various other uh, uh, emotional habits. So this... Uh, in this mindfulness is, is working with, even if it, you can't sustain it uh, for very long, just humbly willing to, to keep uh, contemplating, being one who is, uh, no matter how many times you fail, and, and uh, uh, 
make a mess of your practice and forget and get carried away with your emotions. Doesn't matter, you start anew. It's like the beginner's mind, Suzuki Roshi's book. Then mind mind. <laughs> start anew. It doesn't matter. You, you're never going to when you start seeing yourself as a kind of experienced meditator, and and then uh, be careful of that because then you're going to be terribly disappointed. And as soon as you, how it usually works is, I think, well, I'm a very advanced meditator. Then something will happen, and that'll really kind of blow your mind, <laughs> and you, and, uh, you think, oh. Been wasting my time and managing all these years, and now I'm completely obsessed, overwhelmed by this this emotion or this incident. So then you start it new, right in the present, because the uh, just the attitude of being an expert or an authority or a kind of uh, advanced uh, that in itself is is uh, something not to to even. Uh, consider as anything worth striving for. Be, you become an authority on Buddhism or a, a, you know, an advanced meditator or whatever. Because uh, that's how the worldly mind's conditioned. It wants to become something. You know, it wants to, if you give, invest so much of your life in meditation, you want to have some proof, you know, have a nice certificate or some some title or some position that says you know you've uh, you've uh, you've achieved this state this level but when you contemplate that desire and you see it as uh, what is condition changing the ego, the sense of yourself, your personality, the ambition, uh, sense of your self-worth, isn't it? As a person, depends on being successful and and having a position, and uh, and the idea of not, of being a failure, not having a position, is is uh, means that you're not worth very much. And then if you're a failure in the society, you're not you're kind of a burden. You're not worth very much. That's the worldly way of thinking. And all that is based on I am this, I am this body, I am this personality. It's interesting just to see how, you know, you say, I've been, I've been a Buddhist monk now 33 years. That's a Half a lifetime investing my life in in a traditional form of monasticism, celibacy, in celibacy, and in well, living according to the vinya, you know. And then then you hear about these new age kind of enlightenment programs where where you know people don't keep the sila and and they can get enlightened very quickly just by spending a thousand pounds for a weekend seminar at the Dorchester. <laughs> and you <laughs> feel your ego going, oh, it's rubbish. You, you, you know, just when you hear things like that, you can, 
you don't want anybody to be able to get it that quickly and pay money for it. And <laughs> because you, you know, I've invested all these years in kind of, you know, celibacy. They don't even ask you to be celibate, and uh, you can have everything, and and if you've got the money, and then enlightenment along with it. But these kind of things also, you know, you think, well, would I really want to do that even, you know, is that what I want? Or is, has the life that I've been li living as a monk, has it been in any way like something that I would rather have not done? I would have rather done it the other way. And when I look back, I think I'm, I'm content, I'm happy with, with just the life in its, for its own sake. You know, I, I, I enjoy uh, being a Buddhist monk, and I, and I enjoy the quality of life that it, that it has. So it's not like a, I've uh, had to kind of make myself become a Buddhist monk to conquer my desires and uh, in order to hopefully get enlightened sometime in the future. So it's really important to see whatever kind of things really may upset you, you know, and uh, or threaten you, or or disturb you. Those are the very those are, those are, that's the very important uh, conditions to recognize. Is that you're attached? There's a still an attachment there to something or other. That you, uh, that, that if you're upset and you, you're feeling, uh, uh, and and you want to put down something, you know, you, you want to deny the possibility of ever getting enlightened at a weekend seminar at the Dorchester. That if that really brings up strong emotion, then what are you attached to? It's important to, to, to you know, to keep aware of what of the suffering that we do have in order to see what kind of a t subtle attachments or not so subtle attachments that still uh, are operating to give us to to create that kind of suffering so it is an ongoing challenge of uh, like they say when the karma ripens I've noticed over the years, like like uh, karma does ripen. Sometimes some things suddenly become very, uh, you know, as life changes and your and different conditions come together, then you're suddenly feeling very strong emotions of uh, of uh, resentment or jealousy or a feeling of being threatened or anxious or whatever. Over over things that are happening, and uh, you you know you and sometimes you think you've gone beyond these. You know, you're n these are no longer emotions that that trouble you. And then suddenly, you find yourself being troubled by them again. So I determined years ago never to jump for joy and and wallow in gladness. 
around successes I've had in my meditation. And if I find that as soon as I do that, then something will happen <laughs> to uh, kind of uh, uh, shake me up a bit, test, put me to the test. So when a successful meditator or a failure, well, both are of equal value. You're, you've really got your samadhi and can concentrate your mind and, uh, and um, you're, you know, you've passed all the examinations. Or you, you don't have very good samadhi and you've flailed all of it. Both equal value in terms of mindfulness, wisdom. No, it's, uh, it's not a matter of, of attainment or achievement, but of awakeness, how awake you're willing to be and how uh, humble you're willing to be. Right, like uh, arrogance and conceit, these are very, these have, uh, you know, they're blinding. So then, that there, just that they're the things that propel us to want to always be, a, you know, be recognized or be an authority or, or and, the, and because of that, then there's the very causes for a sense of our own worthlessness or our sense of failure and not being good enough. But whether whether you think you're the best or the worst, that's still conceit. Conceit isn't just thinking you're the best, it's also thinking you're a hopeless case. That's the same problem, really, because it's the identity with the with um, personality, sakaya ditti, um, attachment out of ignorance to the five khandhas. So in, the, in terms of trusting, Developing this sense of trust, uh, sada, and this is uh, uh, translated as faith or trust or confidence. Now, I found that the, the ego and the personality that they that they don't give me much confidence. When I'm trying to kind of affirm myself as a person, because my character is to be quite critical of myself. So it, it's uh, it's a, a mind that sees, you know, dwells a lot on what's wrong, what the kind of flaws and weaknesses in my personality. So to try to kind of boost it up, make myself a positive personality, uh, I can do that, you know, and I can and I can kind of feel happier through doing that sometimes, make myself happy through being positive. But it's not a sustainable thing. It's not. It's not. A pl- it's not something that 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 balances you. You have to keep kind of supporting it with a continuous barrage of affirmations uh, and experiences that affirm how wonderful and how good I am. 
starts very, uh, you know, and then when something happens where y- you you do something or you're accused of something or people start criticizing and and uh, and uh, you know criticizing, making fun, or cheering at you, then of course it's easy to fall back into the sense of uh, I'm, you know, of, of being self-critical. So, so the, that that whole sense of personality is an endless uh, trap of trying to support it, uh, or trying to, to defend it, justify it, or just sink into depression because you see yourself in terms of only on only negative terms. But the awakened mind, this is what you trust, is in the simple act of awakened awareness, attention. Because depression is a mental object. It's not a it's not it's not what you really are. The mental state, the emotional state is depressed, you're down, you're hopeless, worthless. Uh, failure, that can also be seen as a mental object. That's not the that's not the ultimate reality or the deathless reality. And so, whether you know how you see yourself in any way on a personal level, your attitude towards it is seeing it for what it is. It is the way it is. So if depression, say if there's depressed emotions, then they're like this. You know, you're, if that's what's in consciousness, that which is aware of that is not depressed. You know? The ability to pay attention to a depressed feeling, if you're if you trust in paying attention, then then you're no longer you're you're loosening your grip on the identity with the depressed mental state. So this is where mindfulness is is the way to the deathless. The um, and that applies. I mean to. Whether it's a positive emotion or a negative one, or a stupid one, or an uh, intelligent one, bright or dark, good or bad, right or wrong. It's interesting just to see, and like in when you're keeping uh, vinya and moral precepts, how how your how your emotions react to that. And and how you know one can get constantly kind of how can you ever be good enough on the moral level? You know, so if you if you you can really uh, you know can idealize uh, have an ideal for morality in which you always compare yourself that you somehow never are as moral as you should be, and you can, in your mind will develop habits around feeling. Oftentimes, getting guilt-ridden around little things, because uh, the the vinya, uh, the training of vinya, is a very mindful experience around details, mental details. Uh, 
emphasizing, it's being to look at how the mind works. So, is that the purpose, to make us feel more guilty, or to make our life more difficult? Yeah. Or is, is it, a, is it uh, something to help us to be, to, toward, uh, to, to use mindfully and wisely rather than just with views, opinions, attachments, and personal identity with, with whether you're moral or immoral? So you begin to to uh, to develop a sense of your own, you know, that that in this state of awareness. Now that to me, as you as you begin to realize and trust it more, then that itself is a very pure state. I don't expect you to believe this, but. I'm it's pointing to to where purity really is in the in the uh, in that simple imminent act of in, of attention, paying attention in the present, and then uh, then from there you can you can be aware of um, emotional feelings, habits, physical ones. And and you can and you're looking at them no longer from the critical mind, but from the uh, position of Buddha, looking at, uh, knowing the Dhamma. All conditions are anicca, dukkha, anatta. And it's not you're just not saying that. You don't have to get on. Everything's anicca, dukkha, anatta. Like uh, it becomes pointless to just say that, but to, but in this state of attention and intuitive awareness, you're actually observing anything you're feeling, any emotion, any, any condition that you're conscious of. Your relationship to it now is, is, is interest and attention in its changingness rather than in its, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong. You begin to also get some perspective on the personality problems that we have. Being, you know, being so strongly identified with, uh, uh, with our personalities. This personality is something that rises and ceases. So the state of pure attention is not personal, it's not like, it has no personality to it. It's not not uh, like mine. It's not not part of my person. My personality is reflected in it. Personality uh, is comes and goes, changes. But this awareness is is a constant factor, no matter how the changingness of the personality, from happy to miserable to intelligent to stupid to um, sleepy and dull to restless and angry <laughs> but the constant what is constant 
if one is, is uh, developing this refuge in mindfulness is, is just that, attention, and knowing that it's like this, that the emotions are changing their, the way they are, the personality uh, goes through its uh, melodramas, it's like this. And then as, they, as you lose your fascination, your attachment, identity with it, then you begin to enjoy the bliss of not being a person. Nabhamata. This is a relief not to be a person. Uh, because personality is, is, a, is a burden. It's always being attached to to uh, your self-worth according to some kind of qualities, whether they're positive or negative, is always, uh, uh, you know, going to be unsatisfying for you. You're never going to achieve uh, a personality that is forever satisfying. So the only that which is truly satisfying, we find contentment with, is in the true awareness. Through sati panya, through wisdom, awareness. And, there's, and, a, and a confident understanding, a confidence that comes through wisdom, not through just clinging to some ideal. And we can become confident maybe through clinging to something. We're holding on to something, we feel confident because we're holding on to something. But this, the sandha, this confidence doesn't come from grasping onto anything. It comes from non-grasping. Hmm? So, this is, uh, this is opportunity this evening to uh, practice and that uh, uh, before the attitude uh, not trying to kind of create a right attitude but just by noticing your own motivations for practice you know what are you expecting what do you want what are you trying to get what are you trying to get rid of who do you think you are, you know, and what you have to do, and and just by being aware of, of of the sense of yourself as somebody who has to do something, and and all the attachment views you have about how you should practice and what you need or don't need, and and all uh, that as you. Listen to that and observe uh, all these, this sense of, of yourself as somebody who's, who's got to do something, or wants to get something, or get rid of something, or who lets other people tell you what you are. Maybe you're one of those people that, that you like other people to tell you who you are, what you need to do. You must have somebody else. 
say, you you are this type of person, you need to develop this method. And, and I've got this method now because the, the authority told me. <laughs> but uh, even that can be seen in, in through through awareness. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening. <laughs>